On today's call, we cover a very important topic that we know a lot of people try to get to in their life, which is how to become important enough in a job, in a relationship, in any title you hold, that you can't be eliminated. This is what we call a linchpin. So strap in, get ready, and welcome to this episode of The Weekly Call. Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of The Weekly Call, the unscripted, unedited weekly conversation between Austin, John, and Amber. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back uh, to another week here. We got Amar out in uh, in Toronto, Ontario. How are you this this evening, my friend? Yeah, pretty good. It was, it was my brother's birthday, so uh, my mom got this cake and I ate some chocolate, which I don't I do like you know once a week. So yeah, celebrating my brother's birthday and uh, yeah, eating How some chocolate. Uh, he's now twenty. So oh, this is the franchisee brother. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is Baby Chakra doing? Baby Shocker is getting his butt whooped, which is amazing, oh. which is, I think is great. You know, a part of me um, <laughs> wants to like jump in and like micromanage and give constant Baby coaching. Baby Chakra? Is this his guy's, <laughs> I love this name. Baby Chakra. <laughs> is, that not what, is that not his name? Baby Chakra? It actually no. sounds like a... Uh, a rapper. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Little shock, yeah, no, baby shock, right? Yeah, well, he's not the youngest. There's another one on the way. You no, know, it's not like you know, it's like baby on the Mario. way. No, on the way of to running a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but you know, it's like baby Mario, baby. baby yeah, yeah, Mario. totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Funny How are enough, you, John, my youngest brother is uh, he's starting his own staining business. So it's like it's pretty pretty cool to see, um, you know, the brothers. Literally Wait, every single person. He's huh? even younger than baby chakra. Yeah, even more baby chakra. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, John, what's going on with you, man? Um, okay, I, I have to share this because it was just, it was just too funny. So, um, I had this, uh, this. I won't. I want to get into like the whole, the whole backstory of it, but I just kind of wanted to like just. So there's this client that I have that's um, that I've been ha- that I've had uh, issues with for over like for over one year now, and so that's why I don't want to get into the backstory because it's a long story. But in saying that, um, I feel like I've been handling the situation fantastically, you know, as far as like fixing, fixing things as they want and, you know, like redoing the entire job for them for free. Like, you know, just really like trying to be like an outstanding contractor. Right. And, um, they had kind of invited me over their house, like very randomly, um, this last week, like this is, we, we like finished their project, like, you know, over a week ago. And uh, they say, Hey John, like we need to come by. And like, I was like not really wanting to come by, but at the same time I figured it was some sort of complaint and it's best to just handle those in person. So they would be fine. I'll come 9am Sunday. But okay. So I just feel so bad for the client because, um, so he, he was so angry and just so irrational. However, little did he know that like just by pure chance, like I had spent like two hours this morning reading a book on how to manage my own anger. And I was also like meditating. I had like a really long, like 30 minute meditation, like literally right. Like before I even like, like I went in my car, meditated for 30 minutes, then drove to his house. So I was like, so you were invincible. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I was like, it's just, it was just so funny. Like Uh, uh, I was like, if there was at any moment that any human was ever prepared to handle with an angry person, it was so like me this morning. I was so calm because of my meditation, but I also was just like so equipped 
to handle anger. And so I show up to this guy's house <laughs> and he's just like exploding everywhere with anger. And I'm just as cool as a fucking cucumber. Mm. <laughs> and uh it was just it was just yeah it was just fascinating because like, i was able to just so observe him in like this like almost like a wild animal it was just insane mm. and uh but i actually crazy. successfully calmed him down though and got him to sort of kind of come over to my side a little bit and uh which is pretty surprising because i mean at one point the conversation went to fuck off leave my property and then i i, I like won him back over to my side for the most part and uh yeah it was, it was really interesting uh, austin how you doing man Good. I had for the first time in a long time a day Ooh. that was just completely off. Like Let's just go. zero things. Oh zero things. Do? Got up bright and squirrely at 8 a.m. Oh, God. Which is usually, well, it's two hours after I usually get up every day. Oh, so I'm okay. kidding because I, it, it was, it's nice to get like the extra... Like I fell asleep last night watching a movie and slept for 11 hours and didn't move. That's like good. I, I like in the same position, you woke and up my laptop was dead. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, crazy. And then I woke up and I uh, had a coffee, went outside, had a coffee by the river, went over uh, with um, my stepdad, played 18 holes of golf from, oh. from 10 to two, just, you know, Definitely had a few mollies, but, uh, but you know, you on the whole, it was on a beautiful par? day. For, oh, dude, not even okay, close. Okay. What are we talking about here? <laughs> don't, try and, uh, don't try and mess with my stride right now. Amber. How many uh, bogeys are we talking here? <laughs> yeah, we're talking a couple of bogues, a couple of double bogues, a oh, couple no. triple bogues. Oh, no. A whole cigarette, uh, a whole cigarette yeah, pack. Yeah, we're talking, uh, you know, we're talking definitely a few pars. I was I was very close to birdie on two holes, but then obviously, you know, two putt and, you know, anyway, yeah. great day golf, came home uh, and uh, just kind of took the rest of the day off and uh, made some calls to people I haven't spoke to in a while, just kind of catching up with people and um, yeah, just like a good, you know, I always try to leave Sundays open and then they always just kind of last minute get the stuff and uh, I'm going away for the week. Um, on a retreat with some of the uh, district managers and, and the people that help operators run their businesses with student works and uh, to Collingwood, Ontario. And it's going to be a great week. We're kind of planning out what the year looks like in a COVID-19 world, right? Like, you know, we can't really recruit and do things we, we, in a way that we usually would. So it's going to be a fairly interesting time where we try to re-strategize how all of that works. And, um, and I was able to kind of just meet with my co-owner today and go over everything for the week and, you know, met with, um, you know, I had a little dip in the river and it was just a great day. You know, I was just, uh, feeling like, you know, you, you, there's no, there's no better feeling than when you have, you know, 28 things on the go at once and you just feel like you're in the driver's seat for all of them. So I'm just kind of feeling, uh, yeah, there's definitely control. stillness and like peace in, in just, yeah, knowing that yeah. You're I think it was, uh, it was you or, or somebody else, John, I think it was, well, it was probably you, but structure, the quote structure sets you free. I think like, that's always what I've tried to. Oh yeah. There's, there's so many like that. Like, um, Jocko Willinks, I, I prefer his the yeah. most. discipline equals freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. the one that I say a lot is that, uh, movement is the foundation to stillness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think there's also a lot of uh, value because we, uh, this week is one week after we've released the episode that was, uh, that, that got, uh, you know, well, we actually released a trailer, John. I don't know if you're yeah. aware of that on Instagram. Yeah. Um, uh, Jordan said it was like pretty epic. 
Oh yeah. Oh dude, it, it was intense. It was really great. Yeah. No, I was making Amber called me on like Thursday night and he's like, yo, or Thursday or Friday. He's like, yo, we got we should make a trailer. And I was like, okay. I just went on iMovie, like YouTube a few tutorials on how to make stuff and then just threw together like this just very poorly made video. <laughs> like it was pretty bad, honestly. <laughs> it was it was yeah, it's pretty shit. <laughs> But time sensitivity was of the essence, so I needed to get it out. And uh, anyway, it's just yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see like what people's responses to that episode. Yeah, I think it's yeah. the first time like where we're actually excited for an episode to come out, and we're talking about an episode in another episode. Yeah, that just yeah. goes to this show if you're after, if you're man. listening to this and you haven't watched that episode we're talking about, you know, watch it. Probably one of the few times that someone will like see me and have a strong emotional response. So, you know, that in itself is a sight to behold. Oh yeah. You should not miss this episode for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to, I do want to give you guys a couple of updates on, on my business. So we're, we're fully booked. So we closed five customers and we're just going all in on them and we closed down our sales and marketing and we're now moving to stage two of the business. Mm -hmm. Amber, uh, I am so happy for you. Good, oh, yeah. good Thank, stuff, man. Because thanks, man. For a while there, I was seriously starting to doubt you, and 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 you just completely shattered that. So yeah, no, that's totally fine. I just want to draw to context. Like th- these things take a lot of time. So um, it's not about the results. It's really about like the input to it. So now that we got our five customers, we're 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 nixing one-on-one coaching. So there's no one else on the planet who can pay us enough money for one-on-one coaching. And now we're going to start developing the course. So it's, um, it's pretty epic. And while I'm saying this, I got I to show this to you guys. I got this prepared here. Um, I was watching The Simpsons. And I came across this little episode. As long as it's not anime. And yeah, yeah no, dude, I, I miss anime. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I, I've been banned <laughs> watching it by, by you guys. So I just want you to listen to this, okay? Is your volume sharing on? It is, it is. Okay, so perfect. I'll just play this clip. It's like 20 seconds long, but I'm going to comment on it in a second. Wait, there's still one last thing that doesn't make sense. Why did you start fixing our roof and then just disappear? That's easy. I'm a contractor. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're all crooks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we're all crooks. It's true. <laughs> so... That's an episode of The Simpsons where um, Homer hires a roofer and just ends up disappearing on him. And then that's the comment at the end of the episode. And while coaching these five people that we're working with, we've, we've made a huge discovery that the problem isn't really marketing. That's definitely a thing. People getting leads, that's the real issue. But the reason I played that clip is because most contractors simply do not understand how important sales is to you and your business because there's all these built-in misunderstandings about what a contractor is that they're untrustworthy they're never on time they never do what they say stigmas Uh, yeah these stigmas that if you don't run a customer through a proper sales process you will never have a a booking rate higher than 30 percent and all of our customers that we're working with do not have booking rates higher than 25 percent and so we've made this huge discovery and I just wanted to add that little clip because I think it's perfect 
um, to really drive home the point. So the more the more we learn, the more we're seeing like what's actually you know existing in the in the in the market. And um, and yeah, I'm just really excited to keep on going. I'll keep you guys updated whenever big things start moving because this stuff is really slow. Um, w- there was a 36 day cold streak where for 36 days. I sent like 600 texts and 1300 LinkedIn messages and got zero customers. But so are I, you, are you uh, like putting these, these clients on like contracts of some sort? Totally. Or? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's contracts. Like what we have now is, is pretty epic. Like we have PDFs, Excel sheets, um, formulas. Um, we, we're doing a lot of good work, like how to videos. So eventually it's going to get to the point where it's very, um, uh, you know, ironclad and I'll reach out to you and Austin to test out the marketing portion. So I'll send you like four videos and four attachments. And our promise is that within two weeks, you'll double your leads. So the idea is, John, how much do you spend per month on flyers? On flyers? Yeah. Drop off flyers. Like you mean through Canada Post? Correct. Uh, About $6,000. Yeah. So the idea is if we took that $6,000 and ran it through Google AdWords, just Google AdWords. There's like four other techniques, but just through Google AdWords, I'm pretty confident we'll get you triple the amount of leads. And I want to be able to have a tutorial how-to that is so razor sharp that in like two or three videos, you can get results immediately. And Yeah, one of that- the fascinating things, which I'm sure you're talking about this as well, is that because um, leads matter, okay? Like, but But the quality of the lead also is ultimately what matters the most. Like, so for example, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to, wing this here. I'm actually just going to go look at my stats because I'm kind of curious um, to see the value of a, like, so a web lead, for example, right now is actually higher than I was expecting. So right now, web and social media leads are worth about, every lead I get is worth $1,546 in revenue. Whereas a money letter lead is only worth 1,026. So getting, oh, that's actually, that's actually the reverse of what I thought it was going to be. So I, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, like, uh, Amber, I agree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, Amber. Never mind. I was, I was so like, <laughs> no. no, totally, man. And it's, it's very misunderstood and there's never, I totally thought that was gonna be the other way around. Sorry that my mind is just blown right now. <laughs> yeah, no problem. And, and that's what I love about this. I'm learning so much and there's just so much untapped potential and there's ways to filter out like bad leads. Like, is that like- crazy to think about that? I, that, that like, that I get $1,546 in revenue for every person that clicks yeah. <clears throat> my website and it turns into a lead. That's actually mind blowing to me. Yes. Yeah. That, that's, the the huh. numbers hurt once you well, in, in Yeah. In revenue, right? Like it's uh, what? $600 in profit? Seven? I wish, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to pull up mine here because I know that given that. I was just going to ask you, Amber, based on what you just said, uh, I'm wondering how your formula takes into account um, uh, residents per kilometer squared in terms well, of Amber, like, you density. Well, Amber, become my consultant. Jesus. Yeah, Amber. Dude, um, the idea is, look, I promise you this. Anybody who will end up you know, purchasing our consulting services, you know, I, I'm just confident that we can add an extra hundred thousand dollars. Are you banking? I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious. Like, so like, um, like you're obviously familiar with the term diminishing returns. Correct. Okay. So like one of the interesting things about like developing countries or, you know, like the just underdeveloped countries is that, that there's so much available growth. Like think of like uh, or like maybe a growth stock, you know, a company that's just 
you know, very, I mean, we'll, we'll stick with the country, you know, some country like Rwanda, you know, any amount of improvement is so substantial yes. to where they are currently. Are you like banking on the fact that so many contractors are actually just so shitty at their job that literally any systems just will dramatically improve their business? Because like the claim that you would be able to triple someone's uh, lead generation, like seems to be like that might only be relevant like for the people at the bottom potentially, or do you believe that, that that's, that's consistent all the way through? I think that's consistent all the way through. And mm, um, we, we, we did we actually did a study on this and we broke down all the problems that a contractor could possibly have. And from these problems, there's a, um, a five scale system that you can rate these problems in and you can use it to try and understand how developed an industry is. So if it's a oh, one, okay. if, if the problem is a one, that means they don't know they have a problem, right? Uh, What's an the, example of that? So a, a lot of people we found when we talked to don't know that their phone script and what they say on the phone is actually something that's causing them problems. Because these people are just like, each customer that calls them, they don't have a script and they just say whatever comes to mind. And they don't know that that's a problem. So that's an example of a one. Okay. An example of a two is like they know that there's a problem, but they don't know if there's a solution. An example of this would be, um, oh, clients never make decisions on the spot. And I know that's a problem, but I don't think there's a solution to that. because That's know, fascinating. It, okay. It, it, it yeah. makes sense. Why would anybody make a decision on the spot? And then a the problem that is three is that they're aware of a problem and a solution. So um, if I ask them, you know, how's your website? They'll say, oh, it's not good, but I know I can probably make it better. A problem that is action, no, the problem, okay. a problem that is four is like, they know a problem. They know the problem and they know a product that can solve it. So, you know, let's say, you know, I have a, a ladder that's not that good. Um, then they would say, Oh, I know that there's this ladder by this company, but I just don't want to, don't want to buy it. And then a problem that is five is that they know the problem and all the products available for a solution. So that's like, the clothing industry. Like if you need clothes, you know all these brands and solutions to solve your problem. And we ranked all these problems that exist within a contracting business. And the average was 1.2. So most people don't even know that they have a problem. And if they did, they have no idea what a solution could Are be. Are you talking about on the consumer end or on the contractor end? On the contractor end. So, so what you're saying is, is that most contractors don't even know what they don't know. Correct. Essentially. They don't, yeah. they are not even aware of that. They're no. well, it's interesting too. I don't know if, if you find this the case, but I find one man show operations. So like, you know, like this very stereotypical, like handyman or just basic contractor, you know, someone who maybe has one or two employees, but you know, they're in rotation, but yeah. they just do most of the work themselves. That's around 90% of the market, by the way. Okay. I find those individuals are the biggest narcissists. In what do you way? Agree with that? In what way? Well, in, in the traditional sense of what a narcissist, like these are people who typically um, uh, think that everything they do is the best way of doing it. As in like they, they could not comprehend delegating a task because that would be like, like degrading the quality of their workmanship. It depends on their age. I have found that if they're above the age of 35, they'd be more, they're, they're less open to a solution. And is that just kind of like the old can't teach an old dog new tricks kind of premise or? Yeah, there's just this years of doubt 
or like failed products and services that they have done where they're just closed off to the idea. It's so interesting because it's so true. Like, uh, like Austin, I don't know if you can relate to this for some reason. I feel like in Quebec, this would be a thing, but like actually everywhere. Um, I feel like uncles that are like above, you know, 35 are just like impossible to reason with as far yeah. as like, yeah. Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. If you met all of my uncles, uh, <laughs> the chance that you would be able to change their mind on anything is extremely low. And um, just based on what you said, uh, Amr, about how, if you're over the age of what, sorry? 35. 35. The one biggest technical hurdle that I run into in estimates and competing with other contractors is the idea of pressure washing wood to prep to prepare it. Uh, I don't believe that pressure washing wood does any good uh, to any wood. If you're trying to, um, bro, John and I are just looking at you like, what if you're trying to, okay, no, if you're trying, no, 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 no. Okay. 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 uh, We'll let you finish your point. Um, there's all of these Pinterest. Okay. This is going to be an extreme, extremely uh, particular niche example. Cool. But the no, estimates I've gone to with women that listen to this, that, okay, you, are you saying that you well, can't? No, practice? I know. I'm going to finish the point. Uh, there, there's, there's way too many estimates I've gone to for, for pe- people that want to whitewash wood and they're just showing me photos of, of, of it on Pinterest. Do you know what I mean by whitewashing wood? Yes, yes, yes. It's not a stain. It's not a paint. It's like something you apply with Literal a cloth. Stuff. Yes. Yeah. It is the worst kind. And there's so many people that want this and then they bring me into their house and the wood that they have on the interior or exterior is just like way, way, way too far gone. Oh yeah. It's just like, they're like, just pressure wash it. And I'm just like, Oh, I I pressure wash wood all the time, but I did not lead into that. Um, uh, accurately yeah yeah you totally so, misled so, like 150 people well there's a lot of people even in different situations that think that pressure washing wood without analyzing the quality of what the wood is or what you want to do with it is just the right answer all the time there's like this association right pressure washing wood you can do anything with it pretty much and a lot of people you know when i go to estimates they're like oh well you know this is how i've done it before And the amount of times I've been in a situation at an estimate where the reason that I'm there is because something hasn't gone right, right? Like something hasn't adhered properly or there's been an error in some form of the person that did it before, whether it's the homeowner or another contractor. And they go, well, this is the way I always did it. It's like the reason for something that people do is that we've done it for a long time. That's like the only, yeah. Yeah, and, and I just, I look at that and I'm just like, well, you know, the, the, the frequency or length of time that something's been completed doesn't necessarily lead you to the answer that that's the best thing to do. In, in philosophy, that was the first fallacy I learned. I What's it like, called? Um, fallacy from tradition. Yeah. It's like, oh, just because we've been doing it's, it's, it yeah, traditionally. Yeah. Then, then it right. must be true. And it blew my mind. I'm like, oh, right, no, it's actually it makes status quo fallacy or something. No, maybe not. No, it's fallacy of tradition. It's yeah, like it's traditionally okay. we've, you know, we do this, therefore it must traditionally, be traditionally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard one. That's like, it's Oh, like, well it's been like, it. you know, and, and it's so hard because we're younger. We are looked at like, Oh, you haven't experienced that 
yet. So traditionally you have things to learn or experientially you have things to learn. So it's, I imagine that you and Pat must experience a bit of pushback in some form like that. Amory, oh, from the clients you do have pushback. Right? I get like sworn at consistently. Like from at, the five people you have. No, 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 no. Cause the people <laughs> we signed on, we like filtered cause a lot of people wanted to work with us, but the people we picked, it was just like, um, it was the right. right type of person. But right. when I'm prospecting and I'm sending like people messages, man, like the amount of just pure disrespect that I would get, is just amazing. And I have a thicker skin because of it now for sure. But you know, these people will be like, this one guy sent me like a huge paragraph, which is like, everything you're saying here is too good to be true. Therefore, he literally said this. Therefore, this is some sort of scam please explain yourself or I'm screenshotting this and posting it all over my social media. And, you know, I was checkmate. Like, I don't know. I had to respond to him and I responded and I invited him to look at our website and I invited him for a free call where I can introduce myself and talk about what we do. And then he R bombed me, which was good. And he didn't, he didn't bad mouth me. But right. the industry is so, there's so much pain in the industry. Skepticism. Yes, which is why it makes me excited. I think there's a renaissance. There's a reformation that needs to be done in this industry. And I want to be, you know, the Martin Luther with the 95 theses coming in and stapling it at the church doors. What I'm referencing to is like the, uh, when, when Protestant, uh, how do you say it? Like if you're a Protestant, that was a, a split that happened in the church because the Catholics were saying. Reformation or something like that. No, no. So th that's what the Reformation was because the Catholics were saying, oh, you can get rid of your sins if you pay, like, you know, if you donate to the church, we'll wipe your sins. And one guy was like, you know, that's not how it works. And then that's where Protestants came from because there was a split in Christianity between Catholicism and, uh, you know, being, being Protestant. And the guy who led it, his name is Martin Luther. He's not connected to Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> um, he's a German guy. And the way he did it was he spent like a week writing these theses down. A thesis is just like a statement. And he like made 95 of them, went to like the church door and like stapled it on. And it like started the Reformation during the Renaissance period. It's one of the, my favorite stories. And uh, I want to bring a Reformation to the, to, the, uh, to the industry. And I know like two years from now when we're doing this episode, you guys will be going through my my comments on, on my posts or my Facebook ads. And you're going to see people just completely bad mouthing me. It's like, Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's too young. Um, you know, look at this ethnic guy who knows nothing about Canada. I'll just get roasted left and right. And well, I imagine you'll just simply get more and more hate. Let's say yes. as you get larger, yeah. I will be deeply hated very soon because I'll be saying things and, and advertising things that people think they don't need or that are hogwash or anything like that. And it's part of the game too. Right. So, um, if you look up anything on Grant Cardone, you can find that he's some sort of scam artist. If you look up anything on uh, anybody who's, you know, on Sam Harris, same thing. If you look up anything on... No, I mean, look at just me. I mean, look think about how much exactly. flack I get for being who I am. Yeah, exactly. So it's just part of the game. And uh, I'm not saying I'm too excited about it, but it also makes sense. If I'm going to put myself publicly, I should be open to all sorts of criticism. And if I want to go enter politics in the future, I need to build that thick skin. But Epictetus actually has this in his and in, in the Enchiridion. Uh, it's more like on a philosophical line, but he, he talks about how, you know, when you first 
you know, devote yourself to uh, being a philosopher, to basically just expect people to uh, denounce you and, and say that you're being a fool, essentially. But oh, yeah. then through, you know, through diligence and through, you know, careful uh, reflection and, and proper study that these people will, will learn to uh, appreciate uh, you and, and they'll soon uh, envy you. And then that, that envy is then just more hate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. it's, it's true. You can't win. Uh, but I, I do feel like this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're, when you, is that not the most truthful fucking thing that when you first, I mean, I'm just thinking about that, that, that and Kyrene again, um, when you first start, they all talk about how you're going to fail. And then when you succeed, they all talk about how you're, uh, 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 like how you're lucky or, or that you, mm. you know, you got lucky or whatever, or that totally. uh, you didn't earn it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So it, it's a, it's a long journey. I suspect it's going to take three to 10 years to achieve this, but I'm enjoying every moment of it. It doesn't feel like work, to be honest. So um, I'm in the right place. And I got an amazing business partner too. So it's a little update. That's awesome, man. I think that that's something that will benefit a lot of people once it's turned into a course. Yeah. The idea is is literally send you and John content that would significantly increase your business. Because if it can bring Mm. huge value to you guys... Sign. It's going to bring huge value to, you know, Bob, the builder who's, who does can't 20, wait to be your, uh, can't wait to be your test dummy Supreme here. I'm oh yeah. For I will get I'm your businesses up and going with Let's lead go. generation. I'm going to drown you. No Let's more billboards, go. John, no more billboards. I'm, yeah, I'll show yeah, you the, the way billboards. I'll show you the way. <laughs> yeah. The billboards. Oh man. I, I think saw I'll, the billboard, man. Did you see, I threw it up, uh, some, an, an operator out West, uh, actually shout out to, um cole cole jones this is uh is that his name john you know yeah he's uh he's number two okay so he sent a snapchat oh yeah yeah (laughs) so he sent so he he sent a snapchat so i have one of my good buddies in my friend group this is just how small the world is right a guy that i grew up with in chelsea quebec on the other side of the country his name's connor fair shout out to connor connor he now is the uh, head coach of uh, of the top water paddling team in BC. So uh, for for athletes out there on that that are that are paddlers, so they he's going to be shaking his head because I just did such a bad introduction of that. Uh, <laughs> so him and Cole, I don't know how they know each other specifically, but they became friends or they at least know each other out there. And Cole's also an operator with Student Works West. And he grew up with me, who's an operator in Studentworks East. So he just kind of sees the two sides of the coin here. So anyway, Cole sent a Snapchat to Connor. Connor sent it, Connor screenshotted it, messaged it to me, and I threw it up on the weekly call podcast Instagram story. So I was like, John's billboard on the highway there. Yeah, they but found your it, billboard. <laughs> it's, it's generic. I thought it was going to be more you. Like, I thought it was going to be like, I need to see your face, man. I need to see... Uh, like, you know, I thought that was going to be a pretty much your money letter, but on a billboard. <laughs> no, I decided against it. Mm. It'd be too big to even fit on a billboard. So it wouldn't <laughs> 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 um, no, I think what the billboard does, I think there's different types of marketing. Um, there's marketing to get attention and to educate. And then there's types of marketing to close and convert. Billboards don't close and convert. They just educate. So it actually doesn't matter. If it's John, I, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like the one, um, the way that I, I looked at it was that like, um, think of it like I, I view both billboards as more of like a multiplier. Yeah. So 
So like if you're, let's say you're doing like, you know, however much advertising in the mailbox, door to door, et cetera, the billboard will just multiply it by like 1.2 or whatever. I don't know yeah. what the multiplier is, but yeah, it's like 15% which more is just, efficiency. It's just a brand awareness, right? Like it's like the, it'll increase the proclivity that they, uh, you know, take action on your other advertisements. Mm-hmm. One of the things, although in saying that though, I actually have closed deals directly from the billboard uh, as well. Like people have uh, called me and said, "Hey, I know I saw your billboard, and uh, I thought I'd just you know, give you a call." Yeah. That's and happening. you're like, you're you're just sitting there, like, "Oh my god, <laughs> that's amazing! Yeah. Thank it's you." Like pretty inexpensive, <laughs> too, so yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. and I have a similar opportunity. Maybe I could run this past you guys. This kind of feels like the old weekly call, boys. I can get used to this. This is just us going back and forth about our about our things. This is good. Yeah. Um. So I have this opportunity too that's similar to a billboard advertisement that I'm looking to invest in for next year. Uh, I think it's a great idea and I'm surprised this hasn't been more popular. There's essentially this franchise that exists in uh, North America. I won't say the company name, but it is essentially a media company that sells franchises to owners that then go to market with community-oriented magazines. So for example... You're thinking print marketing, Austin, in 2020? Are you well? Yes. Uh, so I wanted to get your opinion on this because I haven't committed to anything yet. I'm of the opinion that given what, what the area I live in is like in terms of density of networks, that this, there's this magazine called Les Voisins de Chelsea or Chelsea Neighbors. And... Mm-hmm. 1900 homes currently subscribe to this magazine and every month there's this Amber, you're shaking your head. Do you know of this company? No, 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 no. Okay. It's okay. just so hold funny. While you're explaining paper, like the paper advertising, you're cutting very bad because your internet's so bad. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm actually starting to believe you that you just live in a forest where people just don't have cell phones and stuff. Dude, do I need to turn my video back on and walk outside and show you where I live? I live in a field, man. Like, no, I, I believe in, you. I believe you. Okay. I just, um, yeah, for Austin, for some reason, like when you say Wakefield, Quebec, I just picture like where the hobbits live. <laughs> uh, I just imagine I the scene the from, Inter, you know, the in Interstellar where it's just the, the cornfield and it's just absolutely nothing in the farm. No, that's the prairies. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I haven't man. been outside the city really. So. All right. Well, um, I could in a few minutes switch my phone to hotspot for this meeting and walk outside. No, no, and show Austin, you guys it's fine. The, it's fine, the, man. It's, do, it's, it's but as bad do as not, it is. Do not invest in a paper magazine franchise company. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay no, no, um, hold on. Hold on. I, I didn't this. finish though. Okay. So. They're offering to do a full cover story on the business as a as as a trend for the month. So it'd be like the they release it every month. Is why are you still laughing, Amber? Is my internet still bad? No, 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 no. Just finish your thing. Just finish Austin, your sentence, bro. Just a guy approached me. You got that look on your face, Austin. Man. A guy approached me and he wanted to do the same thing. He wanted to do a business profile. He wanted to send it in. It's a niche magazine. You know, only only high income targets in Kelowna. Exactly. Like, it's the exact yeah. Same pitch. Yeah. Okay. Just finish yeah. finish your thing, dude. No, no, John, you finished because you just you just finished it for me. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. No, I already got the same pitch, and uh, you know, well, put it this way: the guy who was pitching me on selling me this magazine, he 
it seemed like he got sold some snake oil. Okay. It seemed <laughs> it seemed like it's it seemed like he he himself barely even believed in the product. And they had a, um his sale, I mean, it was maybe just a really bad sales job, but he like his whole sales pitch was he showed up and he just put an iPad in front of me and then just like clicked play on a video. And at the end he's like, So you want to do it? <laughs> and and I was like, and I said to the guy, I said, you know, like you could have just sent me that video. <laughs> But also, like, I agree it's a good video, but, like, you're also trying to sell me on paper. So, wait, what are we doing here, right? Like, you know, oh, but God. I need to say I, um, I didn't believe in it mainly because uh, I, I, I think that I get a way better return off, um, off the, the money letters, like off the Canada Post unaddressed ad mail. It was cheaper and uh, it was more of a focus uh, uh, target for me because I could do the same thing he was doing but for cheaper and just – and like, if you really want, just do your own business profile in a, in a flyer, people will just look at it and be like, Oh, who's this? Right. You could even make up some media company. You could be like media company X business profile of the month. And people would be like, Oh, business profile of the month. And you can actually pay to send it to every resident as opposed to only a certain amount of them. The, yeah. The yeah. Like, like, to the magazine. They're, not, they're not, they're not filling any need. Like it's an unnecessary middleman at this point. You can design your own flyers and send them out yourself and just not be like, you don't have to sh- like, there's no reason why you should have to share paper at this point with other companies. Like back in the day, like it was so expensive to like send flyers or like get into people's mailboxes that like it made sense to advertise in a Sears magazine. Now, why would you want to be page four of a magazine when you could be page one of one? Right. Yeah. Why would you want to, um, yeah. you know, like even like, I mean, think about if you're a company, why would you want to advertise on a commercial that people DVR and skip when you could just, be a YouTube advertisement at this point, right? You're not, you're not, you're not right alongside another ad. You're the only ad before their video that they want to watch, right? Great point. John. I actually had to, I actually had to write this down because I was actually quite intrigued by the frequency. So I was very, very, I, I almost had to laugh at this a little bit because the frequency of the amount of times that he used this type of word when he was trying to describe the value of the magazine and the community because I actually believe that in a place like Chelsea, a magazine branded for the residents of Chelsea is actually quite intriguing. Everybody loves the idea of boosting this community name. That's like a little bit higher income, high education, high quality of life. So, but he kept saying that this media company loves to invest in and knows a lot about what he called affluent pockets of the of the country <laughs> the amount of times that he said affluent pockets i i just found that very funny and maybe it's not as funny now because you guys are <laughs> awesome i'll tell you this man i'll tell you this patrick <laughs> and i pockets. are working on a tutorial on how to set up a successful facebook video ad campaign that targets affluent pockets yeah your demographic Sarah. Tell me more yeah, about can, the affluent pockets. Precise, you know, through online. I yes. mean, even through Canada Post, I can directly target only neighborhoods that have a household income of above 100,000. Yeah. They have precision targeter. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just an unnecessary, unnecessary thing. Right? Yeah. 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 I'm glad you, that I brought this up. Having to make a profit, right? Yeah. So, the one thing I got sold on um, was the idea of our, my company being on this cover story for the month. Cause it was going to be a three page piece where they talk about the history of 
myself and why I'm doing it and the people you think in any business. Ego in there? I was about to ask hundred percent, hundred percent. The first thing Pat said to me when I called him to ask for a second opinion was <laughs> that he's like, yeah, I could see how if this was about me, it would make me pretty fired up. So how much of that's present for you? <laughs> I was like, that's, that's yeah. all this guy had going for me too. I was like, Oh, I could be like a business, but you know, no, it's yeah. How much does it cost? Fuck. It's, um, it's a well of course it's priced dynamically over three years if you do a three-year term <laughs> yeah i know Did, but if you do a 12-month so term if you do a 12-month term i think it's like uh 180 a month and if you do it now it's it's 150 a month i believe so that's okay. the issue gotcha so but it'd be 150 a for a month yeah, two thousand bucks a year, but the the cover story is only a one time thing, and you're only in the magazine as an ad for an eighth of a page moving forward. So it's pretty it's pretty bum deal. Here's another thing too that 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 I that happened to me once. So I did something similar like last year, where like it was it was like a coupon book, and um, so I was getting really good results. Okay, like really good results from it. And I kept telling the guy, like, this is amazing, right? Well, he leveraged the results that I was getting to then go get other painting companies in the same book saying, well, John's doing it. And so then fucking there was three, there was three of us in this coupon book. What an asshole. So I started noticing that, that all of the bid, like, so one, it like all of it dried up because, well, not, it didn't dry up, but I was still getting lots of leads, but then it just all of a sudden got really competitive. And then it got competitive to the point that it was no longer worth it. Um, and so then I was like, well, I'm not going to do this anymore because like the whole reason, like the whole reason I was doing this is because I was the only painting company in there. But now I that currently I'm know I'm going to be the only painting company in there. No, I know. But my point being is I signed up being the only painting company. For sure. And I could see how I eventually wouldn't be the only painting company. In well, there, could you but... imagine being a three-year contract where you've now had like reached diminishing returns on it, which is also another thing I noticed as well is that this coupon booklet, it was sent out each month. And so like the first time my coupon landed, great results. And then it, and then it, then it just, because people had, you know, they're hanging on to the coupon, but like, they're not actively using the coupon each month. Um, so yeah, diminishing returns on that too. Yeah, I get that. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I definitely got hung up on the ego part of the, of the magazine. And, and I think that that can save me a lot of money, which is, you know, quite valuable to mention this here to you guys, because, um, I was aware of all these flaws, but now that we're breaking it down in terms of um, not necessarily dollar figure, because I had looked at the dollar figure and rationalized that I could afford it. And also it could be a part of our marketing and budget. However, I hadn't considered, uh, I haven't get, I hadn't given the other side of the coin enough thought in terms of how much that I, if you just take that money, I was going to spend on this magazine reinvested in, in a means of marketing that's a lot more able to, it's it's more able to be targeted you know specifically to our demographics of you know household income above a hundred thousand married highly educated um and it just seems like it makes more sense so not make well it's one of those things where like would you advise someone else to do it probably not right but but you would probably advise yourself to do it because of the ego aspect like if you yeah. want yeah. But it's interesting how it can also work in the reverse. So like um, cold calling, for example, uh, you have to sort of shatter your ego to go cold calling, right? Your ego says you're above cold yeah, calling. Yeah, that's interesting, eh? It's, yeah. Actually, it's actually the reverse. So cold calling is highly effective, but then your ego says not to do it, 
Whereas this is, this is highly ineffective and your ego tells you to do it. So it's kind of interesting. Our egos totally play us. Yeah. That's that, that was a pretty good distinction. There. Yeah. John, let me show you something. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm dealing with though. So total sales. Okay. Referral networking. Can you scroll down just a little bit? Cause like the things, actually, I guess I could just move this box. Never mind. I'm just lazy. <laughs> there was like a, th- a thing in the way. Um, so about holy 80, good for you, man. Just so 85, 85% of my sales. Yeah. Everyone needs to from see referral this. networking. So basically, um, you remind me of, uh, Corey Bartram, uh, my consultant. So he was the same, um, Corey, I'm pretty sure only got like only got, I mean, other than maybe office leads, but he basically only booked work from referrals and networking. Yes. That's what I'm doing. That's my, yeah, only, yeah. just so everyone yeah. can see. So Austin has booked, you know, roughly $200,000 in, in referrals and networking and has booked the, the other $60,000 in work all from else, which is interesting because if you look at my stats, I've booked $200,000 in, in uh, cold calling and then I've gotten the surplus elsewhere. I mean, I've had some pretty good referral, but, but so it's interesting. That's actually so impressive that you've been able to like, like I think about how much work that I had to put in to get that $197,000. I almost have the exact same number as you, um, mm. but in cold calling, how much work and how much like yeah. just absolute, yeah. and just so much work to get that cold calling. And I think to myself, man, like, like referrals and networking is so much more efficient yeah. from a time perspective. If you add up uh, money, like um, mail outs, Canada Post mail outs and referral networking, it's over 95% of my sales, I think. Where does it say how many flyers you've sent out? I've sent out 5,000. What? Yeah, man. Well, there's only 10,000, there's only 9,000 people in Chelsea and Wakefield combined. Your booking percentage is pretty high too, huh? Yeah. Well, not really. It's not that high. Yes, it is. So here's what what I always say too, though. When when I see, you know, when I see a business like this, right. And I see, okay, you're, you're getting so much organic, just, you know, referrals and networking. I can't help, but, you know, ask why not? Like, cause it's like, cause here's the thing. Like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like, okay, referrals and networking, you can influence, but you can't control in the same respect that like I could go knock on doors right now. And I know that I'm going to get leads. Okay. But I can't like just, go referral network. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like when I see you, you know, only having $10,000 in cold calling, you know, I think it's like, when I see like, well, if you want to grow your business, it just seems like you could just go knock on a shit ton of doors for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, the, John, that, that's such an interesting remark. Um, I, I, I honestly just need to be built for a larger scale to go do that because at, at the very moment, we're currently booking work for August, September. And, you know, the work that we book after this, like after given the sales we have after this is for August, September and our production capacity diminishes significantly there. So if I was built for a larger scale, I would definitely go focus more on cold calling. But in the reality is John, that all of that additional work would still be coming through referral networking. No, I understand. Um, so, so and, and- I just want to, I just want you to guys to understand like, uh, how much of a cheat code this really is in a small community that you have a, a decent reputation in this number of referral networking, total sales has realistically came from since January 1st, 2020, maybe eight or nine 
well-designed Facebook posts to community groups. Um, and well-managed, well-managed sales funneling from the moment the client messages you to the moment they write you a deposit check. Like everything in between that is very well-managed and that's kind of hard to quantify in terms of effort because that changes per client. But the reality is I was able to source 35 contracts or sorry, 50, uh, sorry, 66 leads which turned into 57 estimates, which turned into 35 booked jobs, which turned into $197,000 worth of work with eight or nine Facebook posts. And even your average job size is really impressive. You know, at almost five grand, like that's, you know, that's insane. Yeah. My average job size is 3,300. But the reality is every person that messages me on Facebook is worth $3,000. It's so insane. Well, you know, but your average, your average lead is worth 2,282. So like, it's so, it, that's so crazy to think about. I mean, for like, for all the rookies that are listening to this, imagine if every time you got a lead, you just know that you basically just made $700 in profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like literally like you're sitting there with your girlfriend and she, and, and you're just, you know, just chilling. You get like a web lead. You're like, Oh, 700 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's literally it, I, how it works. Yeah. But it's, it, you have to have the system in place. You have to have the employees trained. You have to have the system that everybody follows to be perfectly orchestrated. You have to have the happy clients. You have to have the end of day updates. You have to have all of those things. Once it's systemized, like the machine awesome. runs, but build the machine. Yeah. Insane. Like, so you've done 74 estimates. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've done. My goal is to do over 350 without doing a hundred estimates. Yeah. So I, I have done 323 estimates this year by myself. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> How long are your estimates? How long? How long are they usually on average? I'm going to say, let me guess. John Morgan's estimates are an hour and 20 minutes. 45 minutes. Fuck me. Why? That's impressive, man. Something, something seems wrong there. What's your closing rate? 50%? 52%. Do you, do you eight point call them? Yeah, I I do. do uh, I do very well initial calls. Okay. Do you send a confirmation email? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you do you do a walk around as soon as you walk in the door? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you present your client manual? Correct. He just runs. <laughs> how do you how do you build rapport? And when I say rapport, I'm not talking about like talking about the fish on the wall and like golfing. I'm talking about how do you demonstrate that you're an expert and a figure of authority in 45. So minutes? I actually do. I don't. Like, okay, so I mean, this is going to sound counterintuitive and, and you can have what you want out of it. So, I mean, if there's rapport building, it's, it's certainly because him, they, we just hit it off. But my strategy has always been to come off as almost like, the, like, have you ever met like a guy, um, you know, you go to like a, I don't even know, like a, like a random hobby store and you walk in there and you just like know that the guy has like been building like paper plane, like, you know, model airplanes since he was like eight. And yeah, like he's, he's, he's obsessed. Life. Yeah. Yeah. So like when I go to an estimate, there's like, in, I just feel like when I leave the client knows that like, this is what I do. Like, this is not some random, like, I'm not just doing this on the side hustle. Like they think, okay, this is John, like John has dedicated himself to this craft. So I go for a very logical and very analytical approach to why they should like to the point that like, I'll actually talk people out of painting their house. If it doesn't make sense. Like I am 
very dedicated to making sure that we do exactly what's logical and nothing that makes sense, maybe business wise, um, as far as like numbers go. So like, you know, a client will be like, Hey, I want to paint all my trim. And you know, I, I sit there and listen to like a lot of what the client wants to say. And then afterwards I give like a very analytical and very pragmatic approach to it. So, or a response. So like, they will be like, like today was a good example. Like the lady's like, well, you know, I want to, um, you know, I want to paint, uh, you know, my, my entire house and, uh, you know, I want to do all the trim, uh, you know, want to paint all the trim and I want to paint my hardy plank, whatever, here's the colors I want to do. And, and so like the colors that she picked for the trim was like almost exactly the same as what she had now. And I said, well, like, do you like, how sold are you on changing the trim color? She's like, well, not really that sold. I said, well, cause you don't need to, right? Like, cause like you have smart trim on 90% of your house. The only part of your trim that literally needs painting as in like this for maintenance reason. Um, cause the, the argument that you're presenting for beautification is just really weak. You don't need to change the color, but to paint the fascia peaks, there's a very strong argument because they're peeling. So what we could do is only paint those paint it the same color. That's going to save you like thousands of dollars. Also the color you've picked for the hardy plank, like how sold are you at being like a dark blue? She's like, well, I really want a dark blue. I said, okay, fine. We'll do that aspect of it. Right. But so maybe I'm not building rapport, but I'm, but I'm, I'm clearly proving to her that I'm acting in her best interest. There's no, yeah. okay, sweet. Let's paint the whole house. Like right off the bat, I established so much credibility to the client with giving them the most accurate representation of why it is that they should actually paint their house. Okay. Gotcha. So I want to just show you this. Here's what we've built for like the ideal estimate to how to do it. So you have the estimate job site, initial tour, client manual, second tour, oh, calculate, this is great, estimate. This is what you give to all your clients. This is what we do. Yeah. And my question to you, John, is during the estimate, do you always ask questions that uncover the need? And then once you have the need, do you build on the need? Yeah, of course. It needs, it needs satisfaction selling, of course. Yeah. So I'm just going to weigh in here a bit. My average estimate takes two hours and at least 30 minutes of it is talking about nothing related to painting. I'm just yeah. trying to like pretty much because the, because the area I operate in such a tightly knit community, I either, you know, I know all, I pretty much <clears throat> with, with the exception of maybe like 10 or 15%, I know most of the street names and I know most of the area quite well. And I just kind of talk to people that about the area, if, you know, if they've lived there for a long time and if they're new to the area, I kind of fill them in on what it's like to live in this part of Chelsea or Wakefield, you know, what the river access is like, where the best spots to hang out, where as a kid, if they have kids, you know, all these things, it's like the client just kind of goes, this guy gets it. This guy's from the community and he really understands the value of this area. And yeah. now he's giving me an estimate on how to maintain my home. That's how I sell. I really do think, John, if we go back to my stats, that that's why I have a very high, like 90, I think if we do the percentage, it's like 86% of my sales is from referral networking. Uh, that's why I think. But I get that that may not operate in an area like yours if it is not necessarily that kind of small town niche, right? Like it may be like the way I don't know Kelowna or your area of Kelowna very well at all. So I don't know if that would even be. Well, I have a population of probably about 150,000. So yeah, I'm, I'm less than uh, 7% of that. Yeah. So the population of my turf is 9,500. But in saying that though, I, um, I'm, well aware that so this kind of goes back to the whole like group versus individual thing where 
I'm really good at bringing people back down to even just the micro level of like, okay, like you're an individual, I'm an individual, but like, I also know your neighbor, you know, your neighbor, like, it's like, I, I'm like, I'm like very good at inserting myself into other people's okay. lives. Okay. So like, I'll give an example. Like I did four quotes in a row all in the same street and they're all friends. And so like that, to me, that's a little community, right? But like that, like, so like I'm their guy in that little community. There's, there, like, there's also like, there's Wilden, there's, uh, I haven't quite established myself in Dilworth, but there's Wilden, there's the Lakes, there's Kettle Valley. And those are three very affluent neighborhoods. And I'm the guy in those neighborhoods. Like I've, I'm like, I would say 80% of my work is in those neighborhoods. Yeah. So even though like Kelowna as a whole, it's whatever. If you go to Kettle Valley, like every year when I go knock on doors in Kettle Valley, like people when they answer the door, they're like, oh, hey, John, how you doing? Wow. Right. 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 So, so you can establish yourself. So like, cause what I don't want people to do is say, Oh, I live in a big town. So, you know, yes. Yeah. 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 No, relevant. I appreciate like, that insight. John. Like, so it's like, yeah, don't get me wrong. You can live in a big town, but you have to remember that like each town has communities. In, yeah. But you have, to, well, no, you have to remember though, like, uh, um, like Austin, where do you live? Mm, Wakefield, Quebec. Yeah. Okay. But, but like where you actually live though, is the street that you're on. Right. right. Well, that's so what I was going to say is some people there's communities. So that's a community. Yeah. 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 So you can, you can establish, like, if you go look at my jobs, like they're very clumped. Like I'll have like four, five jobs in one street. I'll have eight jobs in one street. I'll have like, right. So, but so like there's huge gaps of Kelowna that I just am not a part of because those aren't my communities. It's not random where I book jobs. Like if I get a random money letter lead or I get a random web referral lead or, or sorry, web lead elsewhere. And I book that job suite, but I'm very intentional about uh, getting into certain communities and developing rapport within that community to the point that like when I go do an estimate, like for example, the one I did this morning was 45 minutes, but I also painted three of her friends' homes and I had reference letters from all of them. So like, was there a need for me to spend half an hour of my time building rapport? Maybe, but she already knew me, right? It was, it was like going over to my uncle's house. Do I really need to talk about baseball with my uncle? No, right? I can just give my uncle a quote. Right. Maybe I'm wrong though. Like maybe, maybe I should spend more time doing rapport. Actually, matter of fact, I'll go as far as to say, I probably should spend time making, um, spending more time on rapport, but there's probably, a, there's probably a dichotomy there. There's probably a sweet when's spot. The, when's the last time you had a Corey at one of your estimates, just evaluating your, uh, two weeks ago. And what did he say? Um, what feedback did he get? I, did, was it actually Corey? Like, is that, a, or is uh, somebody else? Corey, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think the feedback was good. As far as I know, I don't remember, don't remember him really making any specific comments on, on the estimates themselves. I think that if you watch me do an estimate, I think that'd be pretty fascinating for most people. It's, it's, um, it's pretty dialed in. Like, like if, like I could, my estimates are very, um, okay. I got to ask you. So uh, if you don't mind me, I would love, I would love to do this. What's your, your booking rates, 53%. Currently, yeah. Okay. What's your average job size? $3,300 and $4. Okay. What's your lead to estimate ratio? So how many leads do you need to get to book one estimate? Uh, my lead conversion is 65%. Uh, okay. So, that, so it's three to one. Um, how profitable are you on each job usually? Like 33%, 30%, 34%. Like 30%. before or after kickback? After everything. Uh, yeah, 33% would say 33%, uh, cost per lead. We'll ignore that for a bit. Monthly fixed cost. How much do you pay per month on like marketing and stuff? 
it, it solely depends on the month, but I would say like, if you were to average it out, cause I'll probably spend about, let's say 35 grand this year in marketing. 35 so, grand for marketing. So we'll do 1900 a month. 1900 a month. Okay. okay. Do it over seven months though. Oh, why? No, no, just keep it. Well, you're doing an annual coding sheet, right? No, but, but I, but I don't advertise in like, well, no, I know, but, but, but this sheet is built for 12 months. Ever. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so monthly fixed costs at 1900. How many quotes, how many estimates do you usually give per month? Per month? Yeah. Hmm. You can say per uh, week and then I'll just do the month. Well, well, let me, let me just go back over the last month. Okay. Like, cause I'll give you, so last week I did 13, the week before 23, then 15, then nine. So whatever that Sounds is. Sounds like, uh, say that again. Say the numbers. 17, 36, 36, 45, uh, 60. So 15 a week. 15 a week. And then for the month, just 15 times four, I'm guessing. Or yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, so 60, 45. A month. Yeah. Oh, 60. Okay. 60? What's the number? 60, 60. 60, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, let's see. John, what are your sales at right now? 556,000. Nice. Kick rocks, Hammer. Oh, yeah, no, I know. Um, <laughs> or sorry, 555,000. Oh, that's sick. So you're going to hit 750. Is that, is that still within reach mathematically? Yeah, because I actually have a forty thousand dollars job that I'm getting a deposit for right. in, in, a, in about a week and a half, um, and so that will bring me up to about six hundred, and then uh, I just got to put yeah. that one hundred fifty grand. That's so. so sick, man! I'm so happy for you. Like, well, hold on, we're not celebrating early. I mean, well, we no, no, oh, sorry, I, I know we're not celebrating early, but like, just given the circumstances of this year and the savagery, like you know, Student Works West has never had a five in the left digit column, right? So, congrats on that. Not, not before inflation, no. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, although that's one thing I was going to talk about in this podcast, it's really interesting because like, this is definitely like Amber, I'm sure you can relate to this. Like, well, Austin, you could do, I mean, this is, you know what? Everyone that's listening to this, yes. like, <laughs> um, like this is such a turning point in, in my, uh, in my summer right now, because, you know, this is definitely a point in time where, you know, is it like, am I really like, cause am I going to be one of those guys on boat cruise or, or I don't know what you guys have out East, but like one of those guys at the final award ceremony at the end of the year that says I hit my goal or am I going to be one of those guys who doesn't. Right. And so this is like yeah. that point in my summer yeah. where, where I cannot become complacent and I cannot take for granted. And, uh, I mean, and what, what really, what that means is that I really need to focus on, okay, what are the things that have made me successful so far this year and how can I do more of that? Love it. Mm. Uh, Amber, are you going to show us something or what? Yeah, Amber, you were going to make a point there. Sorry. Oh, I was just basically breaking down your business. And so per month, um, here's your sales. It's around $100,000 per month. That's what the numbers show from the numbers you gave me. Yeah. Yeah, I booked a boat. I think it's... um, Over seven months. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Seven and a half months. Right? 750? Yeah. Yeah. So times seven, right? So this is where you're projected to go. Oh, no, 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 no. Come on. Add it, add, get it up over 750 there. Let's go. Yeah, so <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, but, am I not uh, seeing this? Oh, there we go. Okay, sorry. I wasn't mm-hmm. seeing this. So here's your sales per month. It's 100,000 per month. And over seven months, you're at 734,000. But I want, what I wanted to show you was, um, I'm just going to actually put, uh, put this number here, uh, the, the seven... Seven three four five eight zero. See what happens. 
Okay, that's weird. Anyways, if we just go on a per month basis, John, if you were to increase your job size by 10%, here's how much more you'd, you'd make an extra 15,000 per month. If you were to- In sales? Yes. Yeah. If you were to, let's say you ignore that. Let's just we ignore that. If you were just to increase your closing rate from 53% to 63%. Oh, Amber, the spreadsheet is genius. You would make an additional $20,000, which will amount to over $100,000. Yeah, so you know what's fascinating? So like Corey, like my consultant, we've gone through all of this and it's interesting because my booking rate used to be like dog shit. Like it was like 35%, 40%. So like I hear where you're coming from. Like I definitely want to improve it more and I definitely want to like squeak out those things. But it's really interesting to see like, you know, because Corey went, and did this exercise with me and we really wrote down the numbers and uh, like uh, a good example of this actually, just so people can kind of understand like what's possible, you know, cause like I have like a lot of history with the company, of course. So like in my, so in my first, this, this was a fascinating one for me. Uh, so in my first and second year, I actually did essentially the same amount of estimates. I did 155 estimates in my first year and I did one less estimate in my second year. Okay. Oh Yeah. And, and so in my first year, I'd, at the end of the year, I had done $92,000 in sales. At the end of my second year, I'd done $166,000 in sales. So almost, almost double with the same amount of estimates, right? And even more fascinating actually was, um, uh, well, I mean, even this year is pretty insane too, right? Because last year I did, last year I did, where is it? Um, Last year I did 374 estimates and I booked 467,000. That is unfathomable. If I did 374 estimates. Whereas this year I've done 323 estimates. So essentially exactly 50 less estimates and I've booked almost a hundred thousand dollars more in work. Yeah. So it's interesting how so like, you know, people say, Oh, like, how do I grow my business? And it's like, well, you have to look at, you know, exactly what Amher is doing and you have to look at the inputs of, you know, what, what actually makes up your business, right? Cause that's what Amher is doing right now. Amher is showing me here's a spreadsheet. Yeah. Well, no, but yeah, he's showing me a spreadsheet, but what Amher is doing is he's showing me the moving parts of my business, right? Like here's like, you can think about like, you could like take apart a car or like take apart like an engine. Yeah. Here's yeah. all the little bits that make this engine tick. Right. And it's some, you know, sometimes you have to replace, I'm just, I mean, I don't know nothing about cars. So <laughs> anyone who does know about cars, I'm sounding like an idiot here, but you know, maybe you need to replace the brake pads, right? Maybe you need to replace your, uh, your, you know, your, your head gasket, right? So in this case, you know, it's like Amher saying, well, look at, you know, like what are the components of, uh, you know, your win percentage? Like what, what exactly is your booking rate percentage based on? Amher. Right? on quality of initial call. It's based on, you know, your walkthroughs. It's based on the detail of your estimate. Uh, you know, the, the client manual, you your contract, your client manual, all of these aspects. Right. And it's so interesting. I mean, here's a hilarious story for you guys. Um, I argued with Corey and would not use my client manual until my fourth year. <laughs> Jesus. I so love if anyone, it. If anyone thinks that they're a bad franchise. Oh, that drives me insane. Is that not? As, dude, as a DM, that drives me insane. If I had dude, an operator I say, yo, Austin, I'm just not going to use my client manual. manual. I'd be like, you well, I'm not going to. So, wow. Amber, like Amber sitting there in a spreadsheet. Amber, like, I mean, not just, I mean, what's, how much money do you think I wasted by not? Like, so we're talking about a client manual that costs $25, <laughs> $25 a year. 
Yeah. And it, not, not even, I mean, you could probably use the same one, right? Um, Amber, how much, I mean, just how much do you think that $25 decision costed me over four years? I mean, how much work did I do over four years? I take all the money you made over four years, all the profits you've ever made. No, no, but up, even just and then the, I'll tell no, you the answer. Just, uh, no, but even just the sales, right? So like what's, uh, so 92 oh plus 166. God, is I can't 50, wait for this number. Plus 225 is what? 475 plus 300, 775. 775 in, in revenue. Yeah. Okay, 775. So let's, let's assume a 30, 33% profit. 775. Hmm. There's I 775. Don't know. I don't even want to know this number. Fuck. <laughs> if you increased <laughs> by. How much, hold on. How much do we think the client manual is worth? At least 5%, 10%? Five, we'll say 5%. Okay. So it costs you $25,000. Dude, $25 investment for 25 grand. I'm not even kidding. Like, I, didn't, I didn't pull this number out of my butt. So all we literally the, have a spreadsheet coded all, to yeah, yeah, all, all the this. Rookies, yeah, all, yeah, we didn't pull this out of our ass. Like we yeah. actually, so all the rookies who were like, oh man, like, you know, I don't want to do initial calls. Dude, how much do you think initial calls are worth? 25 grand, right? Like, Oh, more than that for mm -hmm. like what you did. Okay, so John, I just ran the That's numbers on this. That's a college degree. I could have paid for my little brother's education. I could have, I could have paid for Trisha's. I could have, for not using a like, literally $25 manual, could have paid for Trisha. That could have been, um, I could have, that would have been date nights for four years. Oh, I know. It's disgusting, okay, so, the power of okay, math. Okay, so uh, I just did the math on, John, you said you've done 327 estimates this year? Uh, yeah. Taking into account that my estimates are two hours, that's 654, 654 hours of estimates. Divided by 12, meaning at max, I can do six estimates a day, doing a 12-hour day. I would need to do 54.5 12-hour days to be where you are, just in terms of sales. But if I did, with my average job size and closing rate, 54.5 days of sales. Let me calculate this. This, if this is the worst podcast for to listen to. We're all just talking about spreadsheets. <laughs> well, it's just hard numbers, yeah. But yeah, but, but just, John, while while yeah. while Austin's crunching this, if you increase your job size by ten percent, so you're like you're upselling like an extra three hundred bucks on three grand. If you're um, getting ten percent more estimates by having just better leads, if you're having ten percent higher profits by just maybe managing your expenses a bit a bit better and increasing your booking rate by 10%, you would actually almost double your profit. Yeah. So the, um, the okay, job size thing is interesting. John, okay, so if, if I had John- do about 10% extra in sales per payroll. That's, why I'm, that's one of the reasons why I so consistently break my payroll forecast because nice. I, my guys do a lot of um, on-site sales. Like, so like they're like, hey, like, you know, this staircase, you know, we have a bunch of extra shark skin on the job. Do you want us to paint the staircase for 500 bucks? So if you look at my payrolls, the increase in job size almost works out to 10%. Beautiful. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Like that's actually a really sneaky way of like anyone who says, oh, I missed my payroll forecast. It's always like you miss your payroll forecast by even a bit more because you, you didn't even do upsells, right? Upsells are easy. Like, hey, like we're doing this store. Do you want us to do this store as well? Or, you know, uh, yeah. actually I had one um, last payroll where um, we, uh, we upsold them on painting the neighbor's side of the fence on two fences in a row. Wow. wow. 
And, it, but the, the fun thing about that one too, is that we actually not only increased the size of that job, but actually didn't take any longer than what was previously scheduled to increase that, to get that revenue. Wow. And sometimes in that sense, it actually makes it easier to do, right? Cause you're doing like, it makes it easier for your team to not have to get anything on the other side and all that thing, all that stuff. Oh right? dude. Oh, totally. So if I did as many estimates as John with my closing rate and average job size, I'd be booked at 1.13 million. And Austin, what excuses you got, man? <laughs> So many, man. So many. No, it's okay, dangerous so, to play that game because everyone has different uh, different strategies. Of course. Do we want to take a little bit of a side route here? And I want to, maybe we have the time, maybe we don't. I do want to give one of our day one listeners, Eric Skydebor, a bit of a chance because we didn't answer any oh. of his questions. And the okay. big question he had was simulation theory. Can we get oh. into this or no? Oh, if we time it to 15 minutes. Like if we don't time sure. it, it'll okay, extend to sure. a 15 hour. So I'm going to start a timer and I'm going to screen share. Okay. So we have to end it after 15 minutes. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can, can we, can we just talk about this for a brief minute before we go down this road? Um, no, no. Do any of you guys really feel like this is, this is where our expertise lies? No, not at all. And that's, that's why I don't even know. If Semi, this is uh, that's why we're dedicating. Expertise. That's why it's 15 minutes. Cause people want to hear our opinions on it. People like listening to us. They want to hear our opinion. 15 minutes doesn't hurt much. Right. So. Sure. Okay, fine. Just fan service, man, you know? Help the people out. So what are we talking about with simulation theory so, anyways? Here's where my mind goes with simulation theory, right? Because like there's, okay, a, there's three, a couple different Three, two, one, start. <laughs> there's a couple of different ways you could go about this, like in the sense that like, are we talking about like, what's the possibility that we're in a simulation? Or are we talking about like, what's the consequences of thinking you're a possibility? What I'm going to do, and I think we have the time for this. Can I just play the two minute YouTube clip where Elon Musk explains it? Because then... It'll, no, it'll we all know what that is. No, 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 no Some no, people no, no. won't. Some people won't know what it is, though. No, I know, but, but we don't need to get it. Like, okay, I mean, if you don't know what it is, Google simulation theory. Elon Musk. He explains it in two minutes. It's very interesting. Continue. I I think that like similar to a lot of like you know very similar like philosophies. Okay, let's say like thinking that you're in a simulation. I think could lead to like nihilism. I think it could lead to like a lot of people just thinking like yeah no life. And I think that in itself is dangerous. So like whether or not there's a like it's one of those things like uh, where. As, as far as we know right now, no one could prove or disprove that we're in a simulation. So that's why I, I, I just don't really think about it because I just don't find it productive to even like have it in my brain that it's a possibility. Like who even cares, right? Like in the, like in the same way that, um, you know, it's, no one could disprove or prove that God exists, but there might be an argument for living as if God does exist, right? Like, like there's a strong, like Jordan Peterson talks a lot about this, right? Austin, are you yeah. familiar with this work? Yeah, yeah, Where, no. You know, it's like, and, and, and Eric Weinstein talks about, you know, the whole like um, metaphorical truths about how, you know, certain things in your life, you know, even though they may or may not be true, you're, you're, they're worth living as if they were true. So an example of a metaphorical truth, and maybe one of the best examples is a porcupine. So like, of course, a porcupine can shoot its quills out in like a big, you know, circle and like kill people that way, right? So you'd want to stay clear of porcupines because they have like the shooting mechanic. Okay, well, that's actually not true, though. They don't actually shoot their quills. The only way you'd ever get hit by a porcupine is if you ran into one. But if you lived your life as if porcupines could shoot their quills, you would probably be better off than if if you didn't believe that okay whether it's true or not mm. so now bringing this back quickly okay i won't rant for too long bring this back to simulation theory can't prove it either way but i do believe that acting as if it was true is harmful so i'll let, I'll let you guys kind of go off on that yeah i i think uh the the number by the way simulation theory 
I think the number is like there's a 76% chance that we are inside a simulation. And, <laughs> and the, the, the math goes, it's like, think about 20 years ago, the first video game that was ever invented, you know, like Atari or some ship. And it's like, okay, now look at where we are now with like GTA 5 and all these VRs. Now think 20 years in the future and how think of like sims you know the sims like six or seven it's like very advanced they have emotions you can get them married they can have kids um, even when you're logged off there's an option where they can run around and have some fun and go to work and all that stuff well now think two thousand years in the future two thousand years there will eventually be a simulation that can simulate in such detail our life and that you know either one of us can be uh, a sim and then take that person and that simulation and then that's just one guy in his office for example running this game and then spread it all across if you do the math it comes to around 76 percent chance have you ever seen the black mirror episode where he has like that video game that he like brings all the people yeah. into exactly yeah. it's like my worst freaking nightmare yeah. Mm, yeah what i really when I think about simulation theory, I do feel like um, it's kind of aligns with. So here's the thing: because can I you explain you can, the math when you're done too? I'm curious. I no, because like you need a mathematician. Like there's well, a formula I, and everything, but okay. So you did not derive this number. You just know no. Seventy six percent exists. Like that number is there. Got it. But the way you get there, although like Elon more Musk said three percent chance. I don't know. I don't, you have to like look into it. But here's, here's the point of what I'm saying is, you know, all of us humans, we, we live for many different reasons, but I like to live my life in the, the sort of, um, in a philosophical way where I want to better the world and make it just a better place overall through my contributions. And so if, my, if somebody thinks simulation theory, it's like, oh, well, your contributions mean nothing because none of this matters. But if we are in a simulation, then the simulation is existing for a reason. And if there is a civilization out there that is running this simulation, then I want to do everything in my power to make even their simulation or their civilization even better than ours. In our, like, in, in essence, like maybe they can learn from the simulation and what's happening there. Yeah, like which whoever's is, running which, the simulation which is the which is what I think the ultimate theory is derived upon, right? Like the idea why there would be simulations is yeah. because they're trying to see how certain civilizations would evolve better than others under certain conditions and learn from that, right? Totally. Like I think yeah. Like if we are living in a simulation, the person who's running this will know the name of Alexander the Great. He right. would know of like Donald Trump and these characters right. that evolve from the simulation will be it will end up as notes on somebody's notepad these notes will maybe presented in a conference room or a game development studio and that will lead to other things which i think is just the betterment so i'm happy to play this simulation game and i'll do my absolute best because either way even if this is all empty meaningless and we're all gonna you know it's just a program there's still good that can be had through my participation and that's yeah. My, that's my point of view. I think that's a really good point of view to have, Amber, because it's pro 
it's also acknowledging the likelihood and it's also saying, you know what, even if it is true, it shouldn't demoralize anybody or lead to nihilistic tendencies, right? Yeah, exactly. Like sh- so it I like that point of view. Different things, of course, but yeah. Yeah. The one thing that I want to challenge, because Amber, I agree with 95% of what you just said. I have a very similar point of view on simulation theory. The only thing I see differently is you said, well, if there's a simulation, it's existing for a reason. That's the one thing you can't is really... Mis- is that just a misspeak though, Amber? No, I think a simulation, if it was to run, it would run for a reason, whether it be entertainment, scientific, or to well, waste so, energy. So, so let me okay, then I, I guess I would agree with Amber in that sense. Let me, let me pitch yeah. you this scenario then. Would you agree that simulation theory, if true... There are hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of simulations ongoing at the same time. Like we could be like the, uh, like, do, like, do you know like those really shitty CD games on like you see in the cereal boxes? Yeah. Yes. We yeah. could be that. We could be like, we yeah. could, our, our simulation could be like one of those ones that's like cheaply handed out because it's just garbage. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. We I, could be the fake AirPods of simulations. Okay. Well, that kind of lines up with... Um, but then it was invented for a reason because obviously some people still find you... So, maybe so the discount let me pitch you this though. People, the poor people of the future buy. They're like, oh yeah, yeah like... I so I wanna, I wanna, hold I, on. I want to add science to this because there is a theory that there's alternate universes out there. I know, man. So, I know. So I that lines up and I'm not denying this. Okay. This is really why people... So we're not, but we're not talking yeah. about... We're not talking about alternate universes. We're talking about simulations. Same. That's the difference. So, so hold on. Simulations would 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 be under the context of we are all operating under a line of code. Okay. Okay. And the graphics of which we're able to perceive our life are ultimately just very immersive. So, you're saying the simulations exist for a reason. Now, have you ever did? Did any of you ever play the game Sims growing up? Yeah, that, that's, that's what I was citing. Okay. So, have you ever accidentally left it on? on while you went and had dinner yeah what if we're in that stage it doesn't matter no, there's a kid no. somewhere who's coming so back from eating his go watch potatoes. the episode of go watch the episode of white christmas i think it's called yeah, yeah i've seen it you told me on black mirror yeah, yeah, yeah go yeah yeah it's a great episode it will it will make you feel like what has taken Hundreds of millions of years for us could have been a nanosecond in the simulation. Well, speed is relative, so that's also been speed proven. is relative for sure. However, if I, I just want to maybe challenge you here, Emmer, you're attempting to apply meaning where there does not necessarily oh, need no. to be. Oh no, Austin, you're misunderstanding me. I'm totally agreeing with you, and I'm citing literal physical like theories in physics that could prove what you're saying. He's um yeah I I think. Um, Austin, you're confusing meaning with like reason. So like, like the, like there's a reason that we like, there's a, like, so for example, someone invented the simulation for a reason, whether there's some deep meaning behind that. That's not what, that, that's not what Amory was trying to claim. Like you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of a distinction, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. So are we able to wrap this up five minutes early or is this yeah, we got totally. five minutes left? I, I, I didn't have much to say on, uh, on, on simulation. Yeah. What was the other topic know. he asked about some like globalism? globalization? Yeah. yeah. Globalization no. is good. I like it. it needs to be a bit really good. Again. That's pretty much I'm gonna it. Pull, I'm going to pull it up again. Um, 
Well, you could, I mean, you could, you could actually, I mean, you could take global globalization and view it in a stoic lens, right? I mean, if you, you know, it's interesting to talk about how, you know, the stoics have kind of always views, viewed us as one kind of global collective anyhow, right? Where, um, you know, we all share the same fate that we either, you know, live or die, right? Like, and we, so we the- all actually share this exact moment. Like, you know, for example, you can only live and lose the present moment. And so in, in a sense, we're all globalized in that way. And that's how the Stoics kind of viewed oh, okay. um, the yeah. world. Yeah. The question was, what are your thoughts on globalization? Seeing as you're all capitalists, I would love to see you explore the pros and cons of globalization and overseas labor. I know it could be a sensitive conversation, but curious to know what your thoughts are on the idea of, a, uh, of what a free market is. This could also transition into whether free market capitalism is an ideal structure for society. What changes would you make if you ran the world? Wow. Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's just there's three so much to, there. yeah. I mean, there's so much to pick apart there. Um, do you want to get, do you guys want to tackle? I mean, cause you know, what changes would you make, but do you want I to, honestly, I'm going to opt out of this question merely because I can't really speak to anything from a no, no, educated lens of globalization. No, but Amber, I mean, we could just talk about the economics of, you know, cause like, I think there's a, like a massive, you know, stigma and misconception about, you know, uh, overseas labor. Do you want to just talk about like the economics of that with me or? Yeah, sure. I, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Like, well, okay. Well, what's, what's, why? Cause it lowers costs for the consumer. Yeah. So th- there you go. So, so I mean, yeah, Amber just hit on the nail there. So, you know, people who live in, in, in one community. Okay. And, and they have a, well, actually interesting enough, it lowers the cost of good. Or it should lower the cost of goods. However, because of um, government involvement, which is because we don't actually live in a free market, because of government involvement, we actually, the cost of goods does not necessarily decrease over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, but um, I mean, this is just, a, this is just a, from a capitalist perspective. I mean, you would of course go to where not only labor is cheapest, but also where labor is um, actually just most efficient, right? So um, I should, I should say that I should pretext that not where labor is cheapest, actually, but where labor is most efficient. Okay. This is very, very important to make because, um, a lot of Canadians and a lot of Americans are upset that, you know, they're losing in quotation jobs to, you know, foreign workers who, and, and their whole claim is, well, they're only going there cause it's cheaper. It's like, well, no, actually not even the case because, Yes, it's cheaper, but you also understand there's infrastructure costs to moving operations to these countries. I mean, there's logistical problems, not, you know, because like there's also increased transportation costs, right? It's actually also just a matter of you've also become complacent. Like these people who complain about, oh, these people are taking my job. It's like, I don't know about you, but I've never, like, I don't, you know why I don't feel threatened about my job? Because I'm number one. What are they going to do? kick me out the door, probably not going to happen. Do you think LeBron James has any job security issues? No. Why? He's one of the top basketball players in the world, right? Do you think the 14th man of the Chicago Bulls might get cut this year? Yeah, maybe. But if he steps up his game and starts hitting some more threes or starts getting more rebounds, guess what? He is going to be more efficient, right? People seek alternatives when the current situation is no longer uh, meeting their needs. So if you're an American and you're complaining about how they're going to hire someone who's cheaper, well, what you actually should be concerned about is increasing your skill set 
because it used to be that one American, this is, this is, this is now into like the actual raw economics and the facts of the situation. One American worker used to be so productive that even though you could hire what say eight, um, you know, I'm just making this up, but eight um, Chinese, you know, sweatshop workers, the one American worker was so much more efficient than those eight that you, even though it was way cheaper in labor, you still would hire the American because it was so much more efficient. And there's also the aspect you come and you want to employ Americans. Well, what happens when not only are they one eighth the cost to hire, but they're also 10 times more productive. You look at how many, um, like, think about, uh, um, especially in low skill, in, in low skill situations where, you know, the job you're actually performing is so low skill that the, the ceiling to get someone to train to the point that you're at right now is so low, of course they would go elsewhere. But this is not a, a matter of just, oh, it's cheaper labor. This is a matter of also just they're a better worker than you. Mm-hmm. So either step up your game or, or step aside and go elsewhere, right? Mm-hmm. But, but to sit there and complain about how they're going elsewhere and, and, and make this some sort of moral argument of how corporations are greedy. No, 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 no. Whoever says the, that argument, a simple objection, I would just raise for anybody who, who's against globalization is that it's not like one dude one day woke up and he's like, let's do globalization or like a group of people. No, no, no. The people have been voting for globalization. Well, what do I mean? Well, every dollar that you spend is a vote. When you say you want yeah. cheaper clothes, yeah. you're actually yeah. voting for cheaper clothes. So then yeah. the corporate executives whose responsibility is to turn a profit to the corporation, according to Milton Friedman, and what I believe as well, is that, okay, let's get more votes. Let's get more of people's money because people are voting for the cheap. When, when I, you know, if I'm an executive at Gap and I release you know, 40 pieces of apparel and the cheapest ones always sell out, the people are voting for cheap. And so it is my now responsibility to get it as cheap as possible. I like the idea of, of, of putting it in the context of your dollars are voting. I, yeah. I, I think that people need to look at it from that perspective more because you can't complain about low costs being a huge priority in the market if you buy very cheap things and you do everything you can to save a dollar. Yeah. Well, but, but, but this is also just, I mean, uh, just to bring us back to stoicism once again, okay? This is just another classic example of, okay, we need to focus on what we can control and become indifferent to what we cannot control. So you actually cannot control, okay, hypothetically, okay, you could influence it, but you can't control whether a corporation wants to move their operations overseas. But what you can control is your buying decisions. And that's what Amber is speaking about. So oh, yeah. if, if you want to sit there and complain about, like, it's funny because the, the same people who are complaining about how they lost their job because they went overseas they're also buying American apparel. They're also buying, you know, whatever company also makes stuff overseas. So it's like, well, okay, well, you, don't, you don't have much moral ground. But one interesting thing too that um, Ryan Holiday kind of talks about, because he actually used to uh, be the, the marketing director for American apparel. And, you know, American apparel had a lot of like lofty goals also like from like a, you know, like an environmental standpoint that they wanted to like, you know, really improve the ethics of business and, and, and like not have sweatshop culture. Like they, American apparel, they made all of their, stuff in America, right? At first, that was like, that was the whole point of that, of that company, right? And it was interesting because, you know, Ryan Holiday had talked about how you actually can't really like, or at least it's it, it, from a marketing perspective, it's very, very difficult, and at least no one's been able to do it, um, been able to successfully make a, like a, an emotional argument towards people of like, hey, you should support us because we're American, right? Mm-hmm. Be- 
what, what ends up happening is people actually just don't care. What they actually go for is, is the cheaper product. Yeah. So what Ryan talks about is how, you know, if you have a, you know, like some sort of agenda, let's say, you know, like some sort of motive as a business owner, what you need to do, what you need to do is you need to embed or sorry, embed that motive in something that people actually want. So a good example of this is our painting company, right? We don't like, we have a, an agenda that we want to, we're a, we're one of two national sponsors of the MS society of Canada. A&W being the other one, StudentWorks Painting is the other national sponsor of, of MS Society of Canada. Now, we don't make our entire sales pitch support us because we support MS Society of Canada. That just happens to be embedded in the package. So by us doing our job well, we're then furthering you know, this, this disease that we just really have no idea. We just don't understand and we're trying to you know, get research for it, right? In the same way that if you're in a company that wants to you know, have manufacturing in America, what you need to do I mean, I'm just making this up, but it, what you need to do is you need to train your employees and create a product that's so spot on to what people actually want that it actually then makes sense to manufacture in America. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, I guess not to answer this question, but if I was a leader of some sort of company, that's what I would do, right? I would make it make sense for the average person. Yeah. And at the end of the day, man, I think John nailed it in the beginning. People just want cheap. Like it's the reason Walmart succeeds. That's why Amazon is just crushing it. Well, no, hold on. I, I disagree with that statement though. I don't know if people want cheap. I think that the average well, people- person can afford cheap, right? Because we don't all look mm-hmm. for cheap, right? You, it, it, this this kind of goes back. I think we talked about this briefly on maybe the last podcast or maybe the podcast before that about, about coaching, but it might've been off podcast, but either way about how um, you know, uh, the largest demographic for any sort of group is the people entering the group for the most part. So like uh, an example of this would be like um, uh, people who like, there's more people getting into stoicism than there are people who like myself have dedicated, you know, their life to it. <laughs> right. So if you're going to write a book about stoicism, don't write that 800 page. Like there's a book over here that I have called the inner citadel by Pierre Hado. It's like a $75 book on stoicism probably sold a thousand copies. Cause it's just, you know, every sentence is a bomb on your life. Whereas, <laughs> whereas Ryan holidays, you know, obstacle is the way is probably sold, you know, million, well, hundreds of thousands of copies. It's also on stoicism, but it's, it's geared towards the people who are just entering the market. Think about, I mean, another great analogy would be think about how many people have white belts in karate versus how many people have black belts in karate. So if you build a dojo for black belts, very small market, you build a, a dojo based around entering people in getting white belts, huge market. You build a gym for fat people that are going to go four times and then quit. You'll make them a lot of money. Correct. Um, what were we talking about right before this? Uh, we're, we're talking how people don't want cheap. They can only. Oh yeah. Cheap. So it just happens to be that the largest group of people are the people looking for cheap. Right. Hmm. So it makes sense from a business standpoint that if you're going to do try and do high volume, um, that you should go that, but I mean, there's actually a fantastic book called, uh, by Bo Burham or Burningham or something, Bo Burham. It's called small giants. It's actually about companies that have purposely stayed small, but have high, have produced a very high quality. I'm assuming product. he wrote about Patagonia as one of the bigger ones. Why, why would they have? Uh, I don't know. He didn't, he didn't write about Patagonia specifically. Oh, really? Not, not really? specifically. No, no, we're talking about even smaller than this, but like there's a guy, for example, who uh, in Italy makes like, you know, purses that are $5,000 and he only makes like a hundred of them every year. 
and there's like a five year wait list because I mean, he could totally do what Lou Vuitton do, did and just like blow up, but he hand makes every single one of them in his shop. And that's what he wants to do. Right. Oh, who is this guy? I don't know his name. It's just, it's in the book. Tim Ferriss mm-hmm. talks a lot about this guy too. Cause it's in, it's from the same book. So it's a recommendation by Tim Ferriss. It's called small giants by, I actually have it right over here. Um, just, just reaching over my bookshelf. It's called Small Giants, Companies That Choose to Be Great Instead of Big. It's by Bo Burlingham. Wow. Yeah. And uh, actually, Tim Ferriss is one of the guys who wrote on the back. So, And Seth Godin, which Seth Godin is one of my favorite authors as well. Um, I, can't, I can't, find, uh, can't find this guy, but it sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's my point though, right? Is that, um, you know, be good at what you do and you have less worries. Maybe that's another way of putting everything we've just been talking about. Um, Seth Godin talks about this actually in his book called Lynchpin, one of my favorite books of all time. And low key, if you look at what I've done over the last three years, you'll kind of understand a lot of my mindset and a lot of the moves that I've made within, would say my life. Okay. Let's put it that way. Um, read that book and you'll understand. But uh, yeah, I mean, just, but the idea of a linchpin is that like a linchpin is like a, a part of a device that if you are a part of a, like a, yeah, a device that if you remove the linchpin, the entire operation cease to exist. So you can imagine there's, there's great value in becoming a linchpin because you, because mm. no one wants to remove you. Right? Yeah. A linchpin is a fastener used to prevent a wheel from sliding off the axle. Yeah, so it's, like the, it's like the cap that holds, it's the bolts that hold the wheels in. There you go. Yeah. But it's just one, it's just a, it's like an old school. So, so seek to become a linchpin, right? If you're, if your company, you know, if you're, if you're employee number 3,487, you know, and you're in all you're doing is just putting, you know, you're just doing this, you know, I'm, I'm acting out some, someone who's working on like a, you know, a, a, a production uh, line. A production line just putting you know one bolt in at a time guess what you're probably pretty vulnerable because you can be replaced extremely easily okay if you're someone who's bringing in you know a million dollars in revenue and the company only does two million guess what you're probably a linchpin probably not going anywhere guess what you're probably not going to get outsourced yeah yeah jsr corp in uh tokyo is the linchpin for uh, the tech industry. They make rubber um, for semiconductors that go oh. into every piece. So well, it's, it's actually interesting too, when you think about it too, because like uh, th- this kind of goes into so many different things here, but like it's like the guys who typically, like the, the people who like truly get rich off like of a big boom are the people who make the tools that are used to like execute the boom. So like if you look at the gold rush, the amount of people that you hear about that like, like, you know, like we're like super famous, like super rich miners, very few. Right. But there's like the guy who invented dynamite, <laughs> yeah. Peter Nobel, kind of a big deal. I don't know if you know the Nobel peace prize the guy invented dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of helped with the gold rush. Okay. So those guys are the ones who got rich. Right. But they were linchpins. Cause if you wanted to gold mine gold, you kind of needed dynamite. You kind of needed a pickaxe. You kind of needed a, a, a shovel. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's crazy. They just focus on semiconductors. Not even like a semiconductor, just one part of a semiconductor. Yeah, the most common one, right? It's insane. There's this other book. Um, so, John, how do you become a linchpin in an industry like painting? I mean, can't just somebody else? Like, if Austin and I move to Kelowna, how, how are you going <laughs> to compete? For me? 
start a if, podcast called the daily call and just say, you know, well, if well, Austin, I moved to Kelowna and opened a painting business, I mean, how can a painting business, is it even possible for a painting business to be a linchpin of a, of a country? Not, or, not, or, well, you, you kind of went to the wrong level there. So it's not that I, that my painting business is a linchpin. It's that you'd be a linchpin in your painting business. Oh, okay, but, cool, cool, but, cool. Oh, no, 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 no. As an entrepreneur, you actually don't want to be a linchpin within your organization. You actually you're right. the opposite. The it's true. Business, I was about to say, yeah. Yeah, in the email. Okay, so how, so how can, um, how can he, or how can you be a linchpin in your painting industry and, and, or in your painting market in Kelowna? Well, you, you know, you, you look at what I'm trying to do you know, because how I'm trying to position myself in student works, right? I mean, it's, it's a lofty goal, right? And, and it's, and it's, it's, I think it's been attempted before. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting actually to hear about, like, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Corey McKinnon lately, mm-hmm. uh, the real estate investor. And, but of course, used to be a franchisee in student works East, but then I think he was also like, I don't, I don't know. Vice his full president. He was yeah, he was vice, vice president. president. But it was interesting because at one point he actually had the opportunity to buy a portion of Student Works East as well. Um, at one point as well, he talks about this. But it's interesting because you know, like, but you look at Alec as well, the guy who uh, had previously held the record before uh, before Ammer, um, at least in numerical value, and um, you know he he'd also kind of made these claims as well. Um, you know, there's something to be said about you know becoming so valuable that that you, that you know they just don't want to get rid of you right like and and there's there's a, there's obviously just increased value in that right yeah. yeah i know uh it sounds funny but like john cena in the wwe oh, yeah there's actually john cena is such a good example thank you thank yeah. you but john see but, cena. but no one thought john cena was going to be a uh if you look at his initial videos no way yeah the rock in the action movie industry has slowly become a linchpin like you can't yeah. have an action movie without the rock in it it's just uh, but it's interesting because you know um Iron Man within the Marvel universe was a linchpin, like Tony Stark. But but you have to Robert be Robert Downey Jr. And I'm sure you could you can you know you have to be so purposeful when doing this. You know it's it's really interesting. Um, you know, like at the at um at, at the end of last year when I had wrapped up my season, you know, I had those three months like to really reflect and and just sort of spend you know as much time as I wanted to just kind of assess. Okay, like what are my intentions going into this year? Right. And, you know, I spent a lot of time visualizing and meditating on, you know, what it is that I want to try and achieve this year, but also like, what would the meaning behind that be? Right. And it's so fascinating for me to see, um, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm having an impact on other people in a positive way. Like I feel like the goal, the whole idea behind this, and I visualized this so often um, last, last, uh, last fall, kind of always visualized myself as trying to raise the water, right? Yeah. Trying to raise that level and get people the holes in the jar just there. a little bit yeah. bigger, right? I mean, people like Ammer, people like Alec, I mean, you, you know, Ammer, you were a big part of like getting me to think, you know, what would that, that next level be? You know, Alec raised the water, at least for me so much because, you know, doing 500 or he did like 400 and like 83,000. I was like, whoa. But then when you did 500, I was like, whoa, right? So I wanted to be like, you know, what if I did 750? Like what kind of impact would that have? Like, you know, what kind of like water level would that then be? Like would, would maybe, wouldn't then maybe 300,000 for the average, you know, for, the, for a top performing at franchisee then become the new 
that's what's that what that's effectively in the last two years what has become the norm of, of what determines top performing and i think that if you look at us three and and then the previous person to do it was marnus uh shout out to marnus legend uh but that's what the norm is now becoming right if you break 300 that's that's the that's the the goal yeah like that, that's, have, that's um, but 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 five years ago that was like what you know and and like i think that that's really moving and i i do agree with you john i'm right there with you i think that based on my conversations with you about how you've gotten better every year doing this you know i i i almost look forward to conversations that i have with people now that are that are along the lines of oh wait what you still do that student painting thing <laughs> and i'm just like they have no i'm just idea, like fuck no yeah idea. i do <laughs> yeah like it's such a machine that every year you just get to come back and refine it and make mm-hmm. it better and make it more profitable and hire the right people and source the right skill sets that will allow you to get better each year it's like john you've i actually wanted to say this to you in no better place than here but i was kind of mentally thinking i was on my way out of what I could get from this whole experience of running a a small local business through a franchise like student works. And then I ran into you and over the past year, you've really made me see that uh, there's, I've maybe, I I think I've maybe gotten 50, 55% of what I can get from this, right? Like in terms of what I can learn. Uh, And I was thinking that last year after breaking the record with Ammer, that I was like, yeah, like this is, I've, I've got what I needed to get, you know, it's like, and then I started DMing people and coaching people this year. And at the same time I, I was, you know, hired in a co-owner to my personal business and just those two things on their own flipped the script for me. And, and ultimately I'm seeing how I can flip the script each year and challenge myself. And so it's quite, it's quite entertaining. It's it was one good. of the, it was actually one of the, my main goals. Cause I, I, um, most improved fall. is essentially the, so the, the yeah so i was that's what i was yeah. about to just just yeah. have to go into so last fall you know i thought i'm like okay what would um i didn't quite follow through with this because i also didn't want people to think i was completely insane which i kind of almost wish that i had just gone like full, like i yeah i wish that i had it just like completely had been authentic and just went full crazy mode but i was um i was going to show up to training and act like literally as if i was a rookie like like introduce myself to Corey. I was going to like, <laughs> I was going to stand up at training and say, Hey, you know, my name's John Morgan. I'm a first year franchisee in Kelowna. I'm just looking forward to the challenge. Like I was going to try and come. As I knew Dude, people would have thought you were actually a psychopath. Yeah, I know, uh, no, I know, I know. I would have thrown my shoe at him. I'm like, who's this asshole? No, like, what's no but hell? so like, I, I later decided that like, okay, like, you know, there might be too much show uh, for that. But I actually, yes. but, but, but hold on. Yes, there would have been too much show for it. But I did still bring the aspect of that that I wanted, which was that I really wanted to come into this year and really prove to people how much we're all leaving on the table by, you know, saying, because, you know, everyone's like, oh, like, I don't know how much I'm going to improve for year to year. Like, you know, like maybe I got the most out of this. But it's like if a guy like myself who is at the absolute peak is going to come back and say I'm going to be most improved, but and also looks like maybe I'm going to pull it off this year, think about how much more improvement you have to make. When I say you, I mean like you who's listening to this. Yeah. And when I say you who's listening to this, by the way, I'm going to listen to this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's up, John? <laughs> you going to improve? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think I, I think that 
it's such an easy conclusion to come to when you do something that's very challenging for the first time and you persevere through everything and you do really well and you look back on it and you go, wow, that was great. And then you just stop, (laughs) right? Like this was, this was what it was for me last year is that I was very happy with how the year went. I was exhausted, but I was very happy and it would have, I'm seeing now as it would have just been completely narrow minded for me to go, got what I needed to get. That was great. Moving on. Let's go use my, and and this is what a lot of people think when they leave uh, uh, business ownership at a young age is, especially in our shoes, I'm going to go use my degree. You know how many times I've said that to people? Like, I'm going to go use this master's degree. I could, I I think I can, but after looking at what I can do here, it's like, well, what's really valuable from a personal development standpoint, right? Like, I can go learn how to utilize my degree to the fullest, but am I going to learn how to become a better leader? You know, you know what person? I blame, Austin? I, I, I blame all the cheerleaders in our life. Like, just imagine for a second, nobody ever basically gave you the gratitude that you got when you, were running, when you ran your business. Like, imagine all the cheerleaders who, who ever said to you, dude, that's amazing. Like, you're well, this is the I, I actually want to kind of get into this with you guys because, like, I don't, well, I don't make think, a statement here. Yeah. Because it, it's so needed. I said this to Trisha the other day, and like, I haven't fully worked out this idea, but I think success is for losers. I get in the context of what we just said why that lands. Only in the I, context of what we talked about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the idea is, John, once you label it success, it's a loss because ultimately you're, you're saying that there's nothing further because success That's is it. success. Yeah, you, well, no, you can, uh, you can only, like the problem with the whole, when I mentioned that to Trisha, it was just random. So <laughs> there was no like. Dude, Trisha there, yeah, must like, just be all over the map. She's like, yeah, like this, comes into this the room, I don't know what's like, coming. Yeah, there's been so much foreplay in this conversation. <laughs> like we're all like, if you've been listening to this whole podcast, like you're already primed for a statement like that at this point. Yeah. Right? But it goes, um, it goes, uh, um, um, successful for losers. Um, fuck, where was I going with that? I was just saying how the cheerleaders uh, are very dangerous. Yeah. Well, I was, yeah. Well, so, but, um, so it goes back to the whole stoic thing of like the, the only thing you can live and lose is the present moment. So the moment you say that I'm successful, you're now no longer doing what made you successful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So now you're a loser. <laughs> right that's why truly successful people it's yeah. not even on their freaking radar like you think mm-hmm. i care about six now get out of here right i'm so so what- to break that down so two things quickly uh if gary v spends four hours a day communicating to other people about his success or every part of the conversation that gary v has with people supposedly supposedly about their success when he's talking about himself is he be, is he a loser in that time frame no because he never says i am successful he, Gary's one of the most hungriest people because he's working towards something. Right. The person chance. to look out for is a guy in the in the mansion in the hot tub with like ten women and being like, Dan I I made it. Here's what you should do. No, or believe it first. or not, Dan Bilzerian may be a very sh- like a big showman, but he's actually very humble as well. If you actually listen yeah, to his interviews, yeah, yeah. he's a he has he he's the the path that he's chosen was uh, very specific but he also talks about how it's not really what makes him happy either 
but just think of it also, Austin, also think of it more of like a fluid, like, you know, in and out, like, like, for example, like um, being present, like, you know, th- we, we get lost in thought from time to time, right? Like we kind of switch back and forth between, you know, lost in thought and then being present. Like most likely what's happened, like all of us probably are really present because this is a very engaging conversation. Like I'm just like, there's no sense of time right now. I don't yeah, even know what's, yeah. like literally, yeah. I don't even, I don't even know if the world exists. I just, yeah. I'm engaged in this conversation. Yeah. But, but success is sort of like that as well, where the moment that you sort of get lost in thought in success, that's when you, that's when you, like, that's how you, that's how you, uh, I, I like to say, like, sleep on a win, wake up with a loss, right? Like, yeah. if you fall into the sleep, like, if you, if you kind of, like, get all drowsy with success and you fall asleep, guess what? That's how you wake up with a win. Or sorry, with, wake up with a loss. Mm-hmm. Because think about, like, and, and I am so obsessed with this because, like, I just get so disappointed in myself throughout the day when I'm listening to music, getting all fired up about how cool I am. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not cool guy. We're, we're going to be, we're going to be mobile university guy. We're not, we're going to be listening to podcasts and audiobooks. We don't need this music right now. We don't now. need Drake. Yeah. Like I want to be that guy who like rolls up in like, <laughs> yeah, you said like, this. I love this. Like all the time, like, like all the time, like when I'm sitting there, some guy will roll up to the red light and he's got Drake blasting. <laughs> that guy is, is sleeping on a win and waking up with a loss. Because he's talking last Sam Harris. He's listening to started from the bottom. Now we're here. And where he's here is still at the bottom. Okay. So (laughs) what you need to be doing is he said he said this a few episodes ago, John. I think he said like I would love you need to be blasting the Enchiridion by Epictetus. (laughs) Like (laughs) dude, straight up. I just want to be that guy in like like Amber's dying, by the way. <laughs> just imagine you in a minivan just pulling up, <laughs> blasting Tony Robbins, and you're bobbing your head to Tony Robbins. Yeah, no, but yeah. the thing is, though, is that, like, that one, that's actually the case. No, I know. So, I know. Straight up. Although it's usually Ryan Holiday. I, I just. Or, I or, the, or the weekly call. I mean, either one. Yeah, I just yeah. bumping that. Yeah. Seriously, hey, everyone who's driving right now listening to this, roll down your windows and bump this. Right. Yeah, like yeah. crank it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you some ad libs in between. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, no, but, but okay, hold on. Without getting too out of hand here, um, uh, it's 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 a, it's a really it's a really um it's a really important point though, right? That that you know, uh, ultimately you're either working like it. Um, I think doesn't Tony Robbins talk about how you're either um like you're either uh, thriving or or, or dying, and the thriving or dying. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, like actually, funny enough, there's this book that he wrote called Unshakable. Yeah. Fantastic book, actually, about which people should read right it's now. It's about actually. finance. Yeah, it's about finance. It's about it's about being unshakable in the markets and 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 not losing at the bottom. Okay, but the last chapter of that book hit me so hard because it really introduced me to this idea that it's sort of like you're either um, growing or dying, you're either thriving or suffering, right? However you want to word it, and that's so true with success. You're either succeeding or you're failing but the moment you feel like you've made it you're you you slipped up right think about that guy who's pushing the rock up the hill okay this is a great analogy he's pushing this rock up the hill he's working so hard the moment he stops to to like dance and get excited how much progress he made that rock rolls right back down that hill Mm -hmm. and think about how many people have tried to build a habit and then they start celebrating way too early 
Yeah. Oh, and that's yeah, yeah. why earlier in the conversation, I talked about how this is a turning point in my summer for me because right now I'm pushing that rock and I'm going up the hill. And if I don't be careful, I know, because it's my sixth year doing this. I know, and Austin, or Austin I know you know, Amra, I know you know how many trip wires and how many false oh, people dude. are right now at this time of the season. Dude. Uh, hey, everyone. Do you know that we have more payrolls in front of us than behind us? You're only halfway. Yeah. Doesn't oh, feel say like say that it. again. Say that again. Say that again. You have yeah. more. I said this to my I said this to my employees the other day, and it blew their freaking mind. I said you have more paychecks coming than you've received. Boom. And I said think, think about how much progress you've already made. Now think about how much more progress you could make now. Yeah, people now are golfing. Like it's golfing season, you know. Yeah, Austin, are golfing, why are you people golfing, are Austin, man? Drake, <laughs> right. It's uh, Sunday, man. It's Sunday. Yeah, it's Sunday. No, no, I know, I know. It's a, it's, it's, it's actually necessary to celebrate once you do something good, but you shouldn't celebrate in such a way that's like, you know, let's go out drinking and get drunk, and then you're hungover yeah. for two days, and then we've talked about this before about how like it's yeah it's important to celebrate, but the reward is more work. Yes, yeah, yeah, but you have to celebrate. Yeah. You have to pat yourself. Yeah, you in should the back. acknowledge things. Yeah. Although, do you think there must be some sort of dichotomy there, right? Because I mean, what's the what's the balance between like um, Austin? I didn't get quite, I didn't quite get the an- or ask you this earlier in the episode because you talked about your day off. Yeah, yeah. But, but like that's what I always found fascinating um, about the whole concept of a day off, right? What did you take a day off of? I took a day off of. Because uh, when you know, well, but can I can I just explain just one small point? Because when I say what do you take a day off of? Because wouldn't be like wouldn't be like the the art of taking a day off actually just be a part of the progress? Because what you're doing is actually recovery. Like because like the whole reason right right no that, that's that's really so what I should have said not yeah. a day off but rather like a day of recovery. Like I know that maybe I'm just getting too caught up in the distinctions, but it, it, it's it's a part of the, like so what you don't want to do on your day off is then go like do heroin because that's no yeah. longer a day off that's that's just doing heroin right <laughs> yes guys. right yeah you're, you're totally right like don't do heroin. Netflix, but I, I i think that the 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 term i should have used definitely should have been recovering that's really what i felt like i was doing yeah yeah because that's a part of the because that's a part of the path yeah yeah well, I think uh, I think we should draw it here, man. Any any other closing thoughts? No, other than um, I'm just thankful that we have this in place. Really, I mean, I was able to to bounce some ideas off you guys that changed my mind uh, on a few things. Most notably, and, and most effectively, is the uh, magazine advertisement. So, um, and that was just a small part of this call, but still, you know, it's just there's a ton of value here each week for all of us, and I. And I hope there is for people that are listening to this and also motivating you to go just start your own weekly call and start your own accountability network yeah. that essentially just yields conversations like this on a weekly basis, but the, that the benefits are directly relatable to you, not us. Uh, and, and I get that like, you know, maybe there's things that you listen to us talk about that are relevant to us that are ultimately valuable for you, the listener. However, that, that impact will only increase exponentially when both things are about you, right? And, and I think that that's why everybody should just go do that. And, and I think that it's great that, you know, we can sit here and say, hey, let's go start your own weekly call or whatever that means. But what that really looks like <clears throat> is just very simple, right? So calling five people, assuming that two will, will agree to it and having the conversation of, hey, 
this is what I want to do in the next 12 months, six weeks, six months, eight months, whatever. I'm realizing I need people to hold me accountable to it. I'd like to, you know, is there anything you're trying to accomplish in your life? Right? Like let's, let's talk every week and let's, let's get this done because external accountability is a huge force. And while John might not be able to admit it necessarily, cause he's a huge stoic and I, I love him to death. I think this helps you too. Right. <laughs> oh, tremendously. I was, I was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I was making a joke, I, but I, I ended or I am ending this podcast in, in a better state of mind than when I entered the podcast. I always feel that way. Really? Yeah. Very fair play. I agree as well. My final thoughts on this is, uh, is I'm actually taking away how important, because um, we talked about, about statistics in this business and in, in this podcast and, and how important it is in business. And I'm just seeing how important it is for, you know, for somebody out there to put together a good marketing how-to. So now I'm even more pumped to go out there and call you and John and be like, hey, turn on your computer, set aside three hours, let's let's get this going. So yeah. uh, let's double your leads. So I'm actually really excited about that. That's what, what's in my space. I would like to finish uh, from reading a very short paragraph from the current book I'm reading, which is called How to Keep Your Cool. And it's on it's an ancient guide to anger management, okay? So after my little explosion last week, I decided I should work on this. And uh, uh, I'd like to read this because I think that um, right now we're at, I mean, I, I come from a very like uh, uh, tourist oriented and very summer based city. And this is when all of the vices and all of the temptations arise. You know, all the women are walking around in their bikinis and they got the boats out and they got all the cocaine, they got the marijuana, the, the marijuana, they got all the booze, your friends are starting to party, there's more beach days. There's all, there's all the vices that, that a natural man or a natural woman might have. And I think that I, when I was reading this this morning, I just thought, mm, okay, this is needed in my life. So here we go. It's easier to shut out harmful things than to govern them. Easier to de deny them entry than to moderate them once they have entered. Once they've established, established residence, they become more powerful than the overseer and do not accept retrenchment or abatement. That is why reason itself to which the reins are entrusted stays potent only as long as it's kept apart from the passions. If it mingles and pollutes itself with them, it can no longer restrain that which it formerly could have rebuffed. Once shaken and overthrown, the mind becomes a slave to that which drives it. In some cases though, the onset of things is in our control. That which follows drags us along by its momentum and allows us no step backward. Just as bodies in free fall have no power over themselves and cannot resist or slow their descent, but the unstoppable downrush cuts off every thought and regret, and they cannot help arriving at a place where they once could not have arrived. So the mind, if it launches itself into anger or love or the other emotions and other vices and other temptations, has no chance to check its inputus, its own gravity, and the sloping nature of the vices naturally seizes and pulls it down to the bottom. Mm -hmm. That is the perfect example of what in psychology you call state versus trait. All right. So if you have a state that you're in, it influences all your other traits. And the state that you choose to put yourself in will dictate all the, the relevant perception of all dis incoming stimuli, 
all thoughts, you're in that state and boom, right? You're, you're ultimately, you've adopted, you've put on a lens that now taints everything that's coming in and out. So I think that that's the perfect, well, way to look at, you know, any of the issues we talked about today, but also, you know, like you said, you getting emotional or, or upset last week. I think that that's a really good, you know, way to finish this off. Yeah. Don't uh, choose to deny access rather than moderate, right? Don't okay. let in the hoodlums into your nightclub, right? Just refuse them access. Yeah. Thank you for listening guys. Hope you have a great week. Hey listeners, thanks so much for tuning in this week. As usual, you can find us on Instagram at the weekly call pod or through email at the weekly call pod at gmail.com for any questions or comments about any of our material. And just to kind of pick our brain or even challenge us on a few things we said today. The intro and outro music was brought to you today by William Scott Thompson. You can find him on Spotify under that name. He has a lot of other great material on there that you can go listen to as well. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. We'll see you soon.